Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're watching online or with you here, open your Bibles up to the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the church that was in Rome. We're snelling our way through the introduction. I think I'm five or six messages in, and we're on verse six and seven. I will get to chapter two one day. Uh, we're just not going to be in any hurry. So I'm reading every week while we're working through these first few verses, from verses 1 to verses 7, though we're looking at verses 6 and just part of 7 this morning. So let's stand to our feet. Let's read this section so we have some context. Paul is in his introduction point to this amazing letter. And let's see, let's be reminded what he's already said. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as your children today in need of the very encouragement that you have ordained for us to receive this morning. For you knew the week that we were going to have, and so you lined up God's word for us just perfectly in unique ways. Lord, if those burdens could be seen by all of us, we would be surprised at all of us who are carrying some kind of burden. So God, today we lay our burdens before you and we long to be encouraged by you. So Spirit of God, would you fill us and comfort us and give us what we need to know who we are in this wonderful person in whose name we pray, Jesus Christ. Man, this can be seated. So there's a couple of things as we move through the book of Romans that we will look at and we will hit over and over. One of this is the Romans' tendency and our tendency towards two sinful extremes. So he's trying to move us from legalism to love. But he's also trying to move us from from rebelliousness, or some people call license, to righteousness. And I'm not saying this morning, and we're going to get into this more later, 
that we're supposed to try to pull tensions between those two things. We are saying that the Bible is saying this morning that those two things are an affront to a holy God. That they're a perversion of the gospel and they must be abandoned out of our life. They are joy quenching and they are glory robbing. And so they must be abandoned. They will not produce joy. They will not produce fruitfulness. And they will not lead to a growing in the depth of our devotion to Christ alone, who is our delight and our joy and a priority. And so that's sort of the big picture, sort of the obstacles that often that is in the church of Rome, that is in our church, is in our lives. And so where he starts in his introduction is, yes, he wants them to partner together for the mission of God. But the first thing we've got to get right is who are we? Who are we? Who am I? Who is Paul? Who are they? What is the gospel? It's essential to anything else that you're going to do in life to understand this question. So Paul started that way. I am. Remember? I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Called to be an apostle. He then gives a little bit of a synopsis if you want to look back up there, verses 2 to 4. But then in, in verse, right at the beginning of verse 6, he says these two words, including you. So now what has he done? He has introduced himself. Paul's never been to Rome before. They've never met him. Surely they've heard of him. They've never met him face to face. So he's introducing himself, and now he's bringing them into the picture. What about you? And, and since we are part of the readers, he's asking that to you this morning. He's saying, including you, but also, what about you? Foundationally, he wanted these Roman Christians, these Roman believers, to be confident in their faith, to understand that, that they were part of the nations that have been gathered together and that they're now part of the continued spread of the gospel, but they have to understand some foundational things about themselves and about Christ. You see, it was somebody's who understood their identity that understood their calling and understood their devotion to Christ, they had led the Roman church, the believers in Rome, to be believers. Now, else they would not have been saved. And so he says, let's get the foundation right. Because there's more nations that haven't heard. There's more lost people that have never even heard of Jesus' name. And we are not okay with that. But let's get it right. We are identified with Christ to get our identity from Christ. We are identified in Christ to get our identity from Christ, not from anybody else or anything else that this world has to offer. We are delivered then in order to declare. So the main idea, it's the same main idea we've had for the last few weeks. The power of the gospel brings a devoted partnership which calls us first to God then brings us together and then deploys us on a mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is partnering. He is building a relationship of trust. You've got to know people to trust. That's what he's doing here. He's, he's doing his introduction. His plan is to build relationship and trust for the sake of building a partnership so the gospel could go forward. I just want to, this morning, and I told my brother, he's 
Brother Rick's out there doing security right now. And me and him has, has had more than a few breakfasts together. And me and him both love biscuits and gravy. So just think, if you love, you love, I love biscuits and gravy, you may not want to admit it. There's a lot of you in here. That's what I want you to do this morning. And, and Micah's already set that table for us with the music. Just, just sop this up this morning. This is good. This is a reminder this morning about who you are if you are in Christ first. And we've already been singing it. I hope you were saying, I hope you weren't saying what the sermon is going to be about today. Because if you were listening to the music, you knew we were going to talk about this. You were loved by God. So let's, let's begin in the first part of verse 7. We'll come back up to verse 6. It says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God. There, he is saying, okay, now you, you who are the nations who are now saved, I want you to know foundationally this morning, you are beloved. I just love that word. But understand, that word may mean very little to you if you don't understand that you're not the center of the beloved. The beloved is. There was a beloved before you. (laughs) And so let's look at him. The beloved, you see, came. Capital B. Before you can grasp that you are loved by God, you, you must gaze into the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand what it means to be loved, it may mean you've never seen it. You see, it was important to the Father for us to understand this. Turn with me to Matthew. To Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. Jesus' baptism. By the way, sidebar, preachers who, who are actually gospel preachers don't begin with you. They always would begin with God. One of your indications you're at a gospel-centered church is not that I start telling you what you want to hear, but that we first go and say, who is God? And what has he said? So let's listen to what God about his own. The Father says this about his own son. This, chapter 3, verse 17 Matthew 3, 17 says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now with that same thing in mind, just flip over a handful of chapters to chapter 17 and verse 5. This was the transfiguration where God picks up His his glory, His honor for just a few minutes and disciples got to see this little, this, this, picture of Jesus they didn't normally see and and what happened during that moment verse 5 the father again this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him can I just change that a little bit this is my son and I'm proud of him you need to listen to him Listen, parents, they don't understand that unless you tell them. For every six times you criticize them, you ought to have 20 times that they know that they are just loved. That's what the Father's saying at the beginning. 
of all of this, with all of what his son's going to have to go through so that we would be beloved, it is important to know that he's the beloved. He said, I love him. He's my son. God's economy of grace that we would experience did not stop with the Son. It overflows from the Son to us. That's why He came. He came in order to gather family. That's why we call each other. When I call Joey my brother, that means something. I'm not just saying it. I'm saying what Jesus, the love that overflowed into my life, overflowed into his life. And it accomplished something in both of our lives. It changed not only our identity separately, it changed our identity together. You see that? That's where the partnership comes in. John 17. John 17, listen to this. The love within the Trinity is the basis for God's love for us. The love within the trained trinity, the triune God, is the basis for God's love for us. John 17, 22. says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Now listen. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. Did you see that? Jesus told the disciples, I want the world to know that I love you as the Father loved me. Leads you to a question to study, isn't it? How did the Father love the Son? That's what we're saying. That's where it all comes from. Romans 5.10 says, While we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. While we hated him, he began this plan out of love to, to fix everything that is wrong between us and God. So this is the starting point. God set his affections on the undeserving That's your starting point. And that's your anchor of your soul when all the world gives away. He loves you. set his affections on you. God's posture towards you is mercy, mercy, mercy because of what his son has done. We are the beloved of God. Colossians 3.12 says... That we are God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved. This love that we're talking about is a love that's not just purely emotional. But listen, it's not absent from emotions. I don't know where we get this idea that God doesn't have emotions. Just read your Bible. You better hope he does. God has a love when he he sets his affections on us. He chooses his own and he gathers them into one family. The beloved are gathered. Now think about this with me in the context now, flip back to Romans, that what what exists now in Rome were these little pockets, these little house churches in the midst of one of the darkest places on the face of the earth at that time. 
That's the center. Rome was the center of the Roman Empire. It was just a bastion of darkness. Not unlike some places in this country. Matter of fact, when we work through the rest of chapter 1, it's going to be eye-opening. But they were these little lights. Almost got Timmy to dim the lights and got this little light up. That's that picture. Have you been to a candlelight service where they did that? That's the picture here. They were these little lights in a very dark place. How did they get there? How were they gathered together? Paul's answer foundationally is simple. The love of God. That's why they are there. That's why they're not at a pagan temple giving a veneration to some God that doesn't exist. The love of God. It's why they are not still spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1, we know it, don't we? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, Ephesians 2 says, Among whom we all once lived, once, once is in there twice, past tense. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind and were by, the nat- by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of his great what? Love with which he loved us made us alive. Made us alive. What does but God mean? It means he loved you. If he wouldn't have loved you, you'd still be over there wallowing in the mud and you wouldn't have known the difference. No man seeks for God. We would have been separated and we would have deserved the wrath of God. Save God's love. They do not do something to become the beloved. God has set his love on them. He set his love on them. You never get over it. Why are you a believer this morning? Why are you a believer? Why are you a believer not, versus not being at the, hung over? <laughs> you wouldn't even be at the bar right now. You'd be too hung over to be at the bar. Or you would be in some church with a, with a name and claim it, thinking, thinking that you're saved when you're going straight to hell. Why are you saved this morning? Because God set His eternal love on you. The world will hate you. I, sometimes I think we forget this that the devil is nobody's friend nobody's friend you say I don't know about Jesus I'm sitting there going well you better know who your enemy is he has no friends he will use you he will shame you with what you've done and then he will destroy you the biblical truth this morning from Jeremiah 31 verse 3 just listen to it to the people of God. It said, The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. I loved you with an everlasting love. That, that means an eternal love. Before there was anything else, there was the love of God. With the triune, but in the triune God, making a plan of redemption to gather to himself his family into one people. 
He has loved you from all of eternity. And you know what the implications of that is? It's what Romans 8, 38 says. Since that is true, and it is true because God's word has said it's true, God will never stop loving you. For I am sure of this, Romans 8, 38 says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation has the ability to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are loved. Amen? He's not done. Back up to verse 6. As a matter of fact, let's back up to verse 5 so we have a little context. You're also called to belong. You're called to belong. It says, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Now notice there's a comma there. Verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So I want you to see there, he says that you are called. It's not just that you are being called. You're called. Matter of fact, if you read both the ESV and the KJV, they're both helpful. The ESV says called to belong. The King James says called of Jesus Christ. The better translation is the ESV. We are called to belong. John 6, no one has the ability to come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. That, brothers and sisters, is a promise that comes from the love of God that works out in the calling of God. Don't let somebody separate calling from love. You cannot. It will make no sense. It, it sounds dry and harsh. If you don't connect it like the Bible connects it. We're called by the Father to the Son through the work of the Holy Spirit. By the Father through the Son to the Son through the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Godhead. Your salvation is part of God's sovereign economy in this world. As surely as creation was. But Paul has already taught us what this is not. Because he's already told him about his identity. He's not saying that he is being called. Look up at the top of the page of Romans 1. He's not saying that he is called. He is being called to be an apostle. What he is saying is he is a called apostle. Here's what I want you to see. This morning, there's simply in Paul's identity a settledness to it. A settledness to who he is in Christ. A settledness to what God has called him to. God has spoken before all eternity about you. And he in in, a temporal, in time and space, has saved you. So he is not saying this morning that you are becoming the children of God. And one day, if you stick to it, one day, if you this and if you that, you will then back over there sometime, maybe, become a child of God. No, he is saying that you have been called children of God. Right now. It's settled. 
It's settled. Not according to Stephen. 1 John 3, 1 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know Him. We shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Verse 3 says, this is your motivation for holiness. Don't miss that. This is your motive. What is your motivation for holiness? Do this or God's going to get you? No. You are my beloved child. That'll motivate you. We are called, you see, in a specific way. God looks down on the whole of mankind and he sets his affections on these certain people. That's what he's saying. He's not talking about all of Rome in this. His letter is to the church of Rome, to believers that exist in the in the city of Rome, and he says, I'm talking to you, all of you. God loves you. He's called you. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be one of the called ones. It means we have been effectually called. We have been particularly called. What God has began in our life, he will bring to completion. It cannot fail. He is contrasting then, and Scripture does. We'll see that in your growth group lesson with Matthew 22. An invitation that goes out that is both sometimes rejected and sometimes even violently rejected. And a calling that goes out that brings someone to repentance and faith and into the family of God. He's speaking to that person. You have been called. Acts 2.39, Acts 2.39 brings the Holy Spirit into this. The Holy Spirit is part of the call, calling to salvation to these people who have responded, who are the redeemed, who are the beloved, who are the called. Acts 2.39 says, For the promise is for you, And for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God calls us to himself. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26. You are a Christian because in love God chose you. You are a Christian because in love God chose you. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. <laughs> this puts us all in the right place. You can almost say, God chose me. Let's mm. be something better than that guy over there. Listen to what he says. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, 
so that no human might boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We get our identity from him. We are not chosen because of something good in us. We are not chosen because something that we did that was better than them. God did not look through the corridor of time and see that you made a better choice than somebody else. God has set his love on you. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see the motivation for mission? You are his. So go proclaim. What are they going to do to you? They can never take away what I have set on you. You're mine. And I love you. And I've called you. And I don't uncall people. So here in Romans, he reminds them that they're loved. That they're called. They're chosen. And that they're saints. They're saints. You are chosen saints. You are called saints. Look at verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So I don't know your background this morning, but I want to make sure that I don't leave any room to be misunderstood. To be a Christian, according to the text, just look at the text. To be a Christian is to be a saint. To be a Christian is to be a saint. They are all loved, they are all called, and they are all saints. Saints are not some exceptional Christians that have done some supernatural thing. Being a saint is not trying to win some divine approval so that maybe one day you'll sit up in heaven and people will pray to you and venerate you and you can go to God and say, hey, hey, will you go down there and help Harry? He's having a bad week. Nothing of where in Scripture, the canon of Scripture is that taught. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. So what does he mean foundationally? It means you're a holy one. You're sitting going, pfft. <laughs> Woo. Did he not follow me around? I thought you said he was on mission. Uh, he followed me around all last week. You know, remember, he's called you holy. He's calling you holy. Why? That's what justification is about, brothers and sisters. When you go back and read Matthew 22 about that picture of biting people in the wedding, those that are in the wedding feast have a robe on, and if you're not in there, you're going to get kicked out. The only ones that's in the, the wedding feast are those that have been declared righteous by the work of Jesus Christ. You are called holy. Now, we are becoming more saintly if we are called holy. But understand that foundationally. That's what that word means. But I want you to see a few other things in Scripture, what it means. To be a saint is to be separated for his praise. It means you are separated for his praise. Exodus 31. 
I just want you to see a couple of Old Testament passages. This, this idea of being set apart for a purpose is just everywhere. Look at Exodus 31.15. This is just an example. It says, six days, Exodus 31, verse 15, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. That's what I want you to see. Do you see it? That's the, ten, that's the sense of what he's talking about being a saint. That, that the seventh day here, as we, he was describing in the Old Testament, was set apart. It was holy to the Lord. That's what, I'm, that's what he means. Now flip over to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23, verse 20. This is just an example again. It says, And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. That's a, again, that, that offering is to be separated to the Lord. So what made Mount Sinai holy? What made the very ground and the very dirt? What made the, the cups and the utensils and all the different things in the temple holy? Was the presence of God and the fact that God said, separate those things for my purpose. We are separated for the praise of His glory. Psalms 100. Could have just picked almost any of the Psalms. Just love this one. Psalms 100 says this, verse 1. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. He is, it is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. And his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. To be holy is to be set apart for his praise. And it is to be set apart for his service. To be set apart for his service. That's what saints are concerned with. God's glory and giving ourselves wholly to him. What does it look like? I want you to see in Isaiah, you know this passage, the great holy, where Isaiah sees God in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of the robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, and I said, that's Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his, in his hands a burning coal. And he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he touched them to my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Listen to this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. Do you see the gospel here? That unless you first see God in His holiness and see you and your sinfulness, and unless you see and have your sins atoned for, you will not want to and you will not be able to serve the Lord for the praise of His glory. And that, brothers and sisters, is why you exist. That's your purpose. To be a saint is to be set apart for the praise of His glory. It is to be set apart for His service. And it is to be separated from everything that once separated me from God. Separated you from God. That's what it means to be holy. And yes, that means from the world. From its values, from its demands, and from its expectations. We get too much of ourselves or that the world tells us that we should be. It tells us how we should be a young person. It tells us how I should be a man. Being a man right now is like toxic in this culture. But yet God has called us to be godly men. It tells you how you should be a mama or a child. God has separated us from what the world says. From its expectations. Make no mistake. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 15, be holy as God is holy. But what I want us to see this morning, what I want you to grab a hold of this morning, is what is separating us today relationally from God? Bitterness, jealousy, fear, anxiety, the oppression of other people, that's called abuse in our day. Mike, I think about Mike every once in a while because he's got a farm with some animals on it and they just, they just make wonderful illustrations. They're just like walking metaphors. So let's say Mike has one of his cows and it has an open wound on its leg. Mike tells Renee, cow number... 62 out there, bless her heart. She's got, a, got an open wound on her leg. I sure hope that gets better. But you know, no cow's perfect. You know, every cow has its problems. Matter of fact, let's just go pray for the cow. No, the, the, the cow needs an intervention. Because what that open sore is going to introduce into its life is parasites and infection that will attack the whole body and destroy that animal. And Mike will have to go put that animal down. What is separating you? You are not seeing that bitterness and jealousy and fear is that serious as that sore in that cow's leg. 
And Christ has saved you. And He has redeemed you. And He has called you His children. And He has called you His saint. So that you may say, God did not save me to tolerate this in my life. I am His. And that doesn't match His word. That doesn't match His character. And I'm going to wage war on that thing. I'm going to have an intervention. Just like Mike would with that cow. Whatever that cow. It doesn't matter whether that cow likes it or not. There's some medicine going in that cow. Are we not better than animals? We are the children of God. What separates us from joy and peace and confidence, security and the assurance of the future? It is not enough. It is not enough to be consumed with what the Bible has told you not to do. You can be consumed with what the Bible has told you not to do and be a miserable Christian. And if you are a miserable Christian, you are being a miserable witness. God has saved us to joy. He has saved us to peace. That transcends what we are going through. If it don't work with cancer, it don't work. If it don't work when everybody in your family goes to pieces, it don't work. God has called us to something that cannot be changed because of how other people treat us, think about us, or what the world is going through. The warning here from Paul in another letter called Ephesians, Ephesians 4.30 is this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is Paul's goal this morning. Our identity will drive us together, and then together we will go on mission. What is your identity driving you this morning? To where is your identity driving you? Objectively, as you know the answer to this. You know, we might be able to put on airs between other people. I'm doing fine, doing fine, you know. Some days I'm not doing fine, whether it's physically or mentally. Every time that air condition pops on, I'm suddenly going, thank, G- thank you, Jesus. That air condition just came on, right? It's like, whoo, come on, blow it on me. Put them vents right on me. What is your identity driving you to? Mission or misery? Service or selfishness? And I'm saying I, I, I'm, the, I'm the biggest person struggling here, okay? I'm not, we're not throwing, this message wasn't designed for you. <laughs> it was, but not by me. What is fear and worry and anxiety if it is not exceptionally selfish? For, do, for does it not keep us thinking more about ourselves? And less about what it means to live in joy to the praise of His glory. To serve Him and to enjoy Him now and forever. Don't that sound a whole lot more inviting? This is what we were saved for. Sacrifice or self-consumption. Just to consume and consume. To use relationships for your own purpose. Joyfulness or unhappiness. Identity in Christ brings a resolve not to allow fear 
anxiety, selfishness, or anything else to rob me of my joy in God, His glory. Looking at the time, I'm always fighting the time. I just want you to see a passage in the Old Testament and then we're done, I promise. Malachi. Didn't think we were going to Malachi, did you? Well, you might have had it because it was in the notes. I know, I know, this is the one the preachers always holler at you and say, well, a man robbed God. That was not, that's not the point of the text. Not the point of the text. Malachi 3.14 starts out saying, God's saying to the, his people, you have said it is vain to serve God. What he goes on to say in verses 14 to 15 is that it often appears like there's, my devotion is purposelessness. It's, per, it's, it's without purpose. That I, I'm, I'm trying to be devoted to God, but the wicked prosper, the saints suffer, and that my, my purpose in my life is just to keep a stiff upper lip and make it through. My devotion, what they're saying, isn't paying off. Look at verse 16. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. <laughs> That's good. The, the Lord paid attention to them and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of them who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God remembers every act of devotion. God remembers every moment of suffering. God remembers Every tear on your pillow. God remembers every cry of desperation at 2 o'clock in the morning. To those who suffer in faith, God says, I remember it all. You were not forgotten. Verse 17 says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son, and then there will be distinction between the righteous and the wicked, the one who serves God and the one who does not. The time has come that through Jesus Christ, He has gathered together those that are treasured, those that are chosen, those that are called. You are His God's gaze at you today is not disappointment, but delight. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Don't be discouraged by the wicked of this day, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be like stubble. The day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, and so that it will neither leave root nor branch. God will do what is right. Look at verse 2. There's a reason I read, I went here. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healings in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I know you probably might not feel like leaping right now. But here's the promise of God. A day is coming. When God will bring healing and we will all leap like happy little calves out in the pasture.
simply because we understand this. We are loved by God. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for what a simple truth that we have been being taught this since we were little children. God, your love is a sovereign love, a just love, a holy love, a love that came to us because of the work of your Son. And so, Lord, we now, during our time of worship, want to pause as we sing, and then we want to gather together we, as the songs play. We want to go to the tables and together we want to remember it was our Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved, who left his place in glory and came to prove his love for all of us by giving his own life. And so we, we remember the Lord Jesus Christ, His body and His blood, and we, what we call have communion again through the gospel of Jesus Christ with Him and each other as we remember who we would have been without Him but celebrate who we are because of Him. Bless your people today as we respond in worship let us enjoy all of it. Let us ring out the last little bit of this time together as we celebrate through music and through giving and through celebration of communion. Lord, forgive us where we need to be forgiven. Let us lay down now, not right now, Lord, as your children, anything that is separating us from your love and let us receive the forgiveness that comes through your Son. And let us rise to our feet understanding who we are because of what your Son has done. You be honored and praised now, not only in our worship, but in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.